All right. Welcome. Welcome to another episode of the Aquarium Insider Podcast with your host. My name is Dan Connor. And today, got a pretty cool topic I wanted to talk about. Um, it's something that I see comes up a lot, and a lot of people don't understand the differences between um, different uh, products, uh, fish products specifically, like f- actual fish, not fish products. And what it is is why are there different prices on different types of fish? And you'll see the the variance in industry between different fish is drastic in most cases, which is um, – and we're going to basically talk about some of the beginnings of how do we – how do you even begin to price a fish? And we're going to – I'm going to walk you through how that is a beginning process from the farm level, and then I'll move it up real quickly because it's not – too difficult after the farm level production things like the factors that influence price. Then we'll talk about what that looks like on the distributor level or the wholesaler. And then what that looks like once it reaches your store. And essentially after the farm level, it's just like every other good. It's just, it's just marked up to cover because they're buying an X amount of numbers. And we'll go through maybe a little bit of examples of what those numbers may or may not look like. You know, I'll give you some ideas of what it might look like. And then how do you get different fish priced in different places around the country? And that's all tied to essentially one thing. So I don't want to give that away yet, but let's kind of dive into uh, talking about what types of factors influence, influence your fish prices you see. Now we'll start here at the farm level and that's essentially where all your pricing is going to be dictated at, right? So the number one most important thing that's going to dictate what your fish is eventually going to cost is how long it takes to get whatever fish you're wanting to breed to its minimum sellable size. That's the first thing that matters in all pricing from then on out. So, um, well, two things matter at this level. Let me, it's actually, this is one, there's actually two. So how long does it take to get there? And I get, I wrote down a few examples so I wouldn't miss a few. And by the way, these examples of how big they're going to get to their minimum size is really going to be dependent on a few things. Uh, how much food you're feeding and how often and how hot the water temperature is for these tropical-like fish, right? Uh, we're not talking about cold water fish. Like cold water fish will probably be similar. Uh, their patterns are going to be a little bit longer. They're not growing as fast as some of these tropical-born species are, but um, let's kind of just talk a few through and I'll walk you through my process. So swordtails. A lot of your swordtails, pineapples, neons, black swordtails, you know, velvets, whatever you want to call. Most of the min- minimal selling size. Now, I do want to put a caveat, an asterisk in here, and I want to put a caveat on there for COVID. Because of such a more demand on some of these different species, one, Florida ended up be- like basically not being able to produce a lot of fish. They ran out of fish. Uh, right in the middle of pandemic, we were out because the, the level and demand was so high, we couldn't we couldn't keep up for a lot of the species. So a lot of these sizes dropped down just to be able to sell some of the fish. So th- it's a, like a weird time to talk about this, but it's a I call it the asterisk because it's not the normal size these fish are typically sold at. It's um typically a little bit bigger. So there's a little, and I'll I'll try to mention a few that may maybe have dipped down below um, in size levels, right? Because of because of this, so uh, first one was sword tails, right? Generally speaking, to get it to about an inch and a half to two inches is the is the minimum sellable size for most places. Um, it typically takes about six months. Now, mind you, 
it can fluctuate almost a whole month if the water is incredibly hot in the middle of summer and they're getting fed three, four times a day. That can definitely influence your fish's size. But typically, generally speaking, five, six months is a good time range uh, for those fish to get that size. And then we've got on the verse, you know, still, still community type fish, dwarf cichlids. We'll go to rams. Rams, their minimum sellable size, generally speaking, most of the time is around an inch. And it typically takes four, four to five months to get that fish that size. And, and by the way, the months I'm, when I'm giving you the months, this is generally in tropical climate and they're getting fed a lot, at least twice a day. So that's my baseline for giving you these numbers. So they're getting fed once in the morning, once at night. And um, the water's warm, you know, above, above 76 at least, we'll say. But let's say, we'll say 75. That's a good point. At least above 75. So one and a half inch sword tails to two inch, probably about five to six months. Rams about four to five months. Angelfish. Now, I've seen this debated a few times. What's the size we should be selling angels at? Generally speaking, a regular angel should be sold at about a nickel size body. And I've seen those being sold there. Um, they call that a regular size. And, and I will say because of pandemic, I have seen that fish drop down to a dime size. <coughs> Excuse me, because there were no other angels available. And by the way, still being sold at regular price, right? Because demand, demand was there. There was no other fish available. It was either this or nothing. So there's that. And then as it moves up in size, obviously price will and time will is right. So nickel size being the minimum sellable size. I'll talk about larger fish here in just a, just a few. Uh, pearl grommies. Pearl grommies, mostly five, uh, five months or so is a good, is good median for getting fish up to getting those programs up to about two inches, right? Two inch sellable size for pearls, about five months. Platties. Most of your platies are probably going to be about inch and a quarter, inch and a half as their sellable size now. I'd say it used to be a big inch and a half, you know, a good size fish. And now I think it's probably dropped down an inch and a quarter as a minimum for a lot of those fish. Mm -hmm. And it takes maybe four months, four months or so for that fish. Rainbow fish, different rainbows. And I'm talking, by the way, I'm going to preface this as being the large, I call them the larger rainbow species. I'm excluding like the signifers. Um, I'll exclude the dwarfs out of this and uh, some like the thread fins, some of the smaller species. I'm mostly talking about like your uh, yellows, turquoise, bosmani, millenniums, stuff like that, right? Generally, the, speaking, the, the selling size for those is about two inches minimum. You know, that's a good minimum sellable size. I think it takes about what I wrote down. Yeah, about six months or so to get them to that size. Um. So that's about the time frame for that fish. Now, from there, and these we'll just use those fish as a few examples, right? As those fish get bigger, they'll obviously command more money. As you as you get them up different sizes, you can typically sell them for more money. And I'll use some more extreme examples in this case, right? So you start getting, I mean, a two-inch African cichlid, right? That's going to be a much different like a two inch peacock, like a two inch OB. That's a much different price point than let's say a four to five inch colored up male, right? But how long does it take to get fish that size or why are the, are the fish being bred for that size? And this is a question I like to ask people because it's not that way in every species. Are fish being bred to be sold at a larger size or are they basically extras that didn't get sold off previously? And that really relates to demand of the fish. 
I would definitely say Africans are being sold at larger sizes. That's definitely an easy one. People want the larger, more colorful fish. They want it now, and they will pay the money for that larger fish. It's just the way it is. So something to consider. And then how long it takes for that fish to get to its next, what we call sellable size. And then the price will basically move up from there. And I didn't want to go into too much detail on those. Cause there's, I could talk all day about prices for the next one up, the mediums, then the largest, then the largest. And then what do we sell? You know, what's, you know, what other fish are we selling at large sizes? I don't think we're selling many. I'm trying to think of the time we last, we bought a biggest fish. The biggest fish we buy here is probably large Africans and we're buying them at, they're probably five, six inches big honkers um, and that's rare that's not very big most of our africans rely in the, like the three to four inch range for large large males mostly um big stuff is kind of a rare thing where we asked for some larger stuff and they were like here's these and it's like a freaking six inch red empress or some monstrous fish like that <laughs> so um it just depends so but it is once you get to that first sellable size it is a lot longer in terms of your care for that fish to get it to like a larger size. Like you might have that fish year and a half, two years before you can sell it. Well, how much time and labor did it take to get that fish that size? A lot. So you're going to see obviously a huge exponential increase in price as the larger fish you buy. So just expect that when you're buying larger fish that that farmer or that person might've had the farmer typically will have the larger fish for almost a year and a half, two years for a lot of those larger fish minimum. Right for some of your let's say three to four inch fish, um, and it's going to vary across the board for all these species. It's not a hard fast rule, but generally speaking, just some ideas. And uh, maybe I'll just preface that for Africans because that's a big one we sell larger at, right? And then after we go to like what you know, how long or um, how long we, you know, it takes the fish to get it to its minimum sellable size. The next one that's just as important, I don't put one below the other, is how many babies they're going to have, right? We call it fecundity, you know, how fecund is the fish going to be, you know, how many, how many babies are they going to have and how often are they going to breed, right? We were breeding angels and we were getting them to spawn every other week. You know, they reproduce a lot. So we were having... Angel spawns will have, I don't know, anywhere from three to 500, you know, at, in a batch. Now, we're not obviously hatching 90, per, you know, 100% survival rate. We'll have probably 90% survivals. It, it'll vary but across the board. But generally speaking, just their, their spawn will be three to 500. Uh, what are some other ones? African cichlids, mouth brooding ones specifically, 30 to 100 babies, depending on what kind, right? And you'll notice, I mean, you'll notice you have the, Let's say that we call, I call them the more common mbunas, like your red zebras, your kinneyes, like that. They're going to have a lot more babies, right? But you see them for a lot cheaper price, you know, even at smaller ones. And you start getting stuff that's real high dollar. You start doing the Tanzania cichlids, star sapphires, things like that. They're not throwing as many. They're throwing towards the lower side of that. So they're going to command a higher price, right? That's another way we look at it as well. Um, Trophia cichlids, they don't throw a ton of young at all. You know, uh, we tried breeding them a while ago and we weren't getting very much luck. I think we're getting like 20 at a time. And um, that's why you'll see a lot of your trophies and they're slow growers on top of that. That fish is taking freaking forever to grow to at least it's one, like even let's say your trophies to boys eye just to get them to like an inch, inch and a quarter. My God, it takes that fish takes forever to grow. So you see them in the stores. They're probably like 30 bucks most places, I imagine. 
And um, it's a hard fish to get big at all. So a lot of people aren't, uh, I don't know a lot. I don't know of anybody in the States breeding it at scale. It's just, it's too many. It, it takes too many groups to get too many fish. That's not really profitable for most farmers. Now I do see them breeding them in overseas. I see them bred in uh, Thailand's breeding some. I, uh, Taiwan breeds, a, I don't say a ton, but they probably breed eight species of trophies. Um, one of the few places I know that does it commercially from a farm level. So just a, a few ideas on um, the two. Those are my two main points that are going to start your, your, your pricing conversation, right? Those are the two main parts. Now, and then the next one is how hardy is that fish or how hard is it to take care of? Does it have a lot of requirements? Do I need to have a very specific water temperature to be more stable? Um, can it handle any fluctuations in water quality or temperature? Basically is what I mean by hardy or hardiness. Kind of, kind of give you that example. So, uh, we'll go with it with one, right? With, uh, with another one, um, from a hardiness level, angelfish. I'd say generally speaking, angels have been pretty hardy. Now they're not going to handle a lot of your temperature fluctuations. If it's fluctuating more than five, eight degrees at a time, it's going to stress them out a little bit. So maybe not the best, right? But they also produce a lot of babies. So you got to balance that, that out, you know, African cichlids being really durable fish. Um, for most of the time they can handle some cold and some fluctuations. They're not handling, you know, freezing temps or below 60 a lot of times, um, but I've had them in, in vats uh, where a heater went out over a weekend and it dropped. It actually dropped into the 30s for two days and I didn't lose, but maybe four or five. And it was because our uh, propane heater went out at the same exact time and it was a computer control board that controlled it. And uh, I couldn't get that part. Couldn't call nobody up on the weekend, didn't have any extras. And um, I couldn't get it till Tuesday. It was like almost four days of cold and I lost maybe a handful of Africans. So something to consider and then obviously your cold water fish you like your mountain minnows and stuff like that your koi they're not having any sort of these sort of issues they're super hardy mostly durable for that sort of thing right so that's kind of what i mean by by hardiness level and then as we get into this another one which isn't it's still a big factor but a lot of your fish that are produced are very uh, it's very there's a very big protocol behind raising different fish right and the big the next one obviously is your cost of feed and labor so some fish you can basically feed them brine shrimp to get them a certain size and you put them boom right on a commercial diet they're eating some sort of crumble food some sort of meal then we're moving up to flake or a pellet and then we're putting them out there and we're feeding them twice a day to get them big as fast as we can essentially right you want to raise them the shorter time you can turn them over, the the more you know, the more you can turn over in a year, the better your sales are going to be. Right? Essentially, what it is, you're basically a race against the clock of how many you can produce. And then some fish aren't like that. Some are going to need a little bit more care, like rainbows. You're going to need some green water cultures. You're going to need some smaller some smaller foods that might take an extra step out of the process. So they might command, and they do command a higher price, right? Than something as simple as even an angelfish, right? You put that thing on baby brine, you know, once it's uh, done hatching, absorbed its yolk sac and all that stuff, you put it on baby brine for, I think we keep them on baby brine for about three weeks. And then we put them in our grow out greenhouse and we put them on a commercialized uh, uh, crumble diet, essentially. Not really crumble. It's more of a meal 
type diet. And that's what we feed them twice a day. Um, and they do well. And then we raise them up and get them, get them up to a sellable size. And we actually don't sell at a nickel size. We sell it mostly quarter size and up here. Uh, we find the difference in time it takes us to get to a quarter. Um, we gain more money than if we sold them everything at a nickel. That makes sense. So just a little insight into that. And then another one that really determines prices, is this fish already been established in the hobby or is it a new one? And then how popular is that fish? So I'm going to give you two vastly different comparisons in fish. And it's, this all deals with, you know, how much they sell, your fish keeping habits, you know, what's the most common. Uh, we'll start with like neon tetras. That's probably one of the most kept fish out in the hobby, or at least the most Googled one I can see. It's It's got tons of searches, right? It's something people want to keep in their community tank. They want to do a little school. They're very popular, very common. Their price points typically a little bit, you know, uh, maybe three to six dollars, depending on the size and size of that fish, right? Then compare that to on the opposite side of the scale, something that's like a rare, a rare, um, like a Central American cichlid. Like we brought in some Cribereros uh, longamanus, or what they call the rosebreast cichlid, I think is the common name. Uh, Unless you know those types of fish, what you're looking for, and you know what it is, you're you're not going to find it. You know, Tim, Tim. You know, unless you're in a store, a local fish store, and they have, and you're like, oh, that looks nice. I'll take that one. What do I need, need to know about this fish? Is it well going to get along with my, you know, Akaras and whatever else you got, right? So that's a big a big play into that, and it's hard for a lot of new, um, I don't say new farmers, but a lot of lot. It's it's a blah, blah, blah. words are hard today. It's hard for a new farmer to pick up new fish that's never been bred in the hobby because they don't know how well it's going to sell. And when you're putting a fish in production at a farm level, you're going to want to produce thousands, tens of thousands of that fish a year. And if you produce, let's just say 10,000 of that fish a year, and it, it, you did 10,000 because it produced, it came in at a high price point. Let's say it's like, uh, I don't know, a price point to put on it, maybe three bucks, four bucks a fish, which is expensive for a farm raise at the farm level. And you're producing, let's say, like 10,000 a year. You can't sell them. It's just sitting in your ponds, taking up space where you could put something in there. You could have moved faster, but you would have got a less less of a price for that fish, right? So that's kind of the ideas um, behind that. And now let's move into um, coloration. And I hate to say this. I think, I don't think I know. Most people still pick fish for their tanks out by color. They want the different colors in their tank which is fine. I, there's no issue with that at all. I'm just saying color is what attracts the eye. It's what a lot of people are picking um, for their tank. Now, it's not everybody. Some people like different types of biotopes and different types of tanks, and I totally get that, right? But color definitely matters in price or coloration patterns, right? And here's where it gets a little tricky for me, depending on the fish. And I'm going to use um, hormone African cichlids as my my talking point here. If you are getting a two inch African and it's a peacock cichlid and it's full colored at two inches, there's not a lot of fish I've seen in a hobby that are full colored that small at on the peacock level, right? I've seen a few hobbyists that have them and they read in some really nice strains, which are beautiful. It's not the standard though. That's the difference. So I would say, especially if it's on the cheaper side, that fish has probably been hormoned. 
it's probably going to lose its color depending on what sex it is. It's at least going to lose some of it, right? And it's going to dull back down and people will think, oh, it lost the color because it's stressful, it's stressed out or something like that. It could have just been juiced. I call it juiced. You know, that's when it's been hormoned for that color and it's been fed a feed additive, something like an Anstaxin where it's enhancing a lot of the red colors, a lot more enhanced spirulina for the blue colors, um, stuff like that, right? And, but you'll see the two inch African on sale for real cheap, you know, 15, 20 bucks a fish where you see the non, the natural colored ones, which aren't as bright, but they're still really nice colored. They might be, uh, was like, like a three inch one might take 25, 35 bucks, something like that, but it has not been hormoned. Right. And that's, uh, how do you distinguish between them? One, I don't think you, one, the store's not going to know. I would say not, I don't know what the stores are going to know. Maybe they do and they don't want to tell you. I don't know. I don't think there's no reason to be trick. I don't think there's no reason for trickery involved, but that needs to be addressed at some level is like the manipulation of the color and what it's going to look like in a month from when you get it. It might be drastically different. And hopefully it is on the, at least hopefully at the very least it's on the cheaper side and you can pick that up by, you know, taking some points from this video, right? If it's on the more expensive side, you know, depending on the size and size also plays a point in that, right? So it's just, it's multifaceted and there's no right or wrong or what can be or what cannot be. It's just, there's a lot of facets to this. And I just wanted to point out some of them and what can uh, manipulate. I won't say manipulate, but what can be your factors in determining your fish prices at your stores, right? So this is all of your base evidence for what starts to talk for um, pricing out your fish, right? Hey guys, Dan here. So this is going to be a cut-in clip for the podcast you're watching. I wanted to, so f first off, my audio started chipping out. Not really sure why, but I wanted to cut in this piece here to add some clarification to one of the pieces. And the piece is on the retail side of fish. So we were just moving from, uh, from the wholesaler to the retail store and then how the retail stores will price your fish. And what I did mention that is your retail fish will be priced at typically anywhere from, I've seen it from a one and a half times to a three to three X markup on your fish from whatever they bought it from the wholesaler is. And the reason you see the variance in that is, is, is a wider range of one. It's going to, a lot of that's going to change based on the availability of the fish Two, uh, another thing that's going to, uh, fluctuate in the price markup of that is how hardy that fish is right obviously market demand affects it a lot and impacts it a lot right but if that fish isn't super hardy and that fish store is losing that fish a lot that could drive up the price some because they have to wait to compensate for their losses somehow because they aren't able to manage that fish for whatever reason that fish just might not match your parameters it might be a really sensitive fish and hard for anybody to manage right i'm not this isn't a downplay to the store not understanding it because there are several species out there that are very hard for any store to manage. Uh, ours included. There's no, we can plan our best as we can and we deal with what we, what we know how, right? And then we move forward with as best we know how. So sometimes your markup could vary that depending on the fish. Now there's not many species I don't think that's on, but that could be some of the markup you're seeing in some of the fish. And then also one of the you know biggest draws we've seen this year that your markup's happening is really high demand and those fish are not available and i'll give an example of the clown loaches 
lot of your clown loaches come wild caught out of Indo, Indonesia. And there, I don't know the exact issue, but I know there was an issue getting them in outside of flights being canceled a lot because of COVID. They just weren't available. And if they were available, they were almost double in, like everything else we've seen, they've been very high in price. So we just brought some in, I think our first, our first clown loaches we got landed this, this last month. And uh, they were still very high priced, but they were at least competitive enough we could bring them in and at least try to make some money on them, right? So that's just an example of a really high demand fish with not a lot of uh, volume moving at the moment because there wasn't a ton. So just an example of that type of fish. So from the retailer to when they sell it to you, one and a half times to, uh, one and a half times by the way, what kind of fish is that? Is that could be a lot of your larger fish where it's really hard to even double your money on because fishing that might not be sought after very much you know you're hiring your larger more common let's say south americans or centrals right some more common fish probably aren't going to get marked up super high and it might be a specialty item where not a lot of people can even take that fish right so you're not making a ton of money on those fish but it might have been for somebody in a special case they hopefully doubled their money on it right because that's the plan of most stores you need to double your money in order to stay and survive in this business and most of the time you need to make a little bit more to cover your extra label label labor costs so just wanted to cut that clip in there real quick and um as i'm editing it you'll see i'm editing it now but um just an idea on the pricing for retail and i'll dive into it here quickly after that a little bit of what we talked about in case you missed anything you want some you know the footnotes the um so the farm level will start the dictation process of the price depending on how many babies they have and how long it takes for them to get to a sellable size the faster the cheaper the fish the longer the more expensive the fish after that we'll deal with you know how hard it is to take care of that fish right are they a hardy fish are they a real sensitive fish do i need to be more worried about them dealing with fluctuation in water temperatures and water quality parameters right um, and then do they need to have different types of foods? Can I put them on a commercialized diet faster than others, right? Are they needing different types of live foods? Am I having a green water culture for these? Am I doing just brine shrimp? What is it, right? And then once we've gotten through that and we've raised the fish, the farmer will then sell them. And to just simplify things for this specific video, they'll sell them to a wholesaler, which will then the hostel will try to double their money from that level. Right. And then the retailer will mark them up about three times. And I'll mention this again. And I, if you have, you want to discuss this, I'm, I'm glad to discuss this, but a retailer will typically mark their fish up three times, maybe on some really big fish. It's two and a half times. And I think that markup is a minimum. And, and, it, and it's because it should be taking you a lot more time and labor and maintenance and just pure husbandry on maintaining these fish in a correct way. And that needs to be, that needs to be said, right? And not always. And, and if they're do, and if people are doing things cheaper, having done this for twenty years or so, most of heck longer than that, most of my life, it's uh, it's not sustainable, long term. And maybe that's a debate we want to have. Maybe it is. Well, let's talk debate. Let me know what you think. Let me know your thoughts on the video. Uh, if you liked it, let me know. Let me know if you've got questions on why we price different types of fish. I did not mention in the video. I can typically give an answer on most fish. Um, and by the way, I did mention these are mostly on farm-raised fish as well. I didn't go over wild-caught. Maybe I'll talk about wild-caught pricing differently because it's a little bit, a little bit different on how that pricing structure works. So 
anyway, let me chill out. Hope you liked the video. Let me know what you think. And uh, I'll see you guys next time on our, I guess, our next podcast. All right. Take care.